Touchdown! Of course, the crowd wants Reed to go for it. Wouldn't be surprised if he did on fourth down and one. So, anyways, with that time, George. Welcome to fourth and one. I'm Todd Palmer, joined by Nick Jacobs. And we're finally not in a soggy Kansas City. Um, Nick, the sun is out. It, it might be a very nice weekend. I feel like that was just for uh, Chiefs rookie minicamp. You know what they say, Todd? Sun's out, Chiefs minicamp out, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the same. Um, let's hope. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but hey, um, before we get to some discussion about rookie minicamp, there are a few housekeeping items, uh, as we like to say. Um, you like Tyron to say. Matthew. I just call them headlines. <laughs> Tyron Matthew officially will not be rejoining the chiefs. If anybody had any illusion that that may still be happening, um, signed a deal uh, with the, his hometown, new Orleans saints. I think it works out great for him uh, and the saints. Um, my guess is that they kind of had this in the works the last weeks before the draft, but waited until the chiefs would no longer get a comp pick before making it official. Uh, but regardless, um, good for, good for Tyron. Um, did it strike you though that I think he got a little bit more average annual annual value and a little bit more uh, guaranteed money than Justin Root? <laughs> um, I didn't pay attention to that, but it wouldn't stun me if that if that was a part of that process. I mean, it you know it is what it is on that, but that <laughs> I'm sorry, it wasn't by much. His average annual value is like eleven million compared to ten point five million for Justin Reed, but. You know, I kind of thought, I was like, that's kind of a, that seemed like a very agent, you know, team concession type thing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, I'm not stunned to hear it, but at the same time, uh, it kind of, it kind of, you know, it is what it is in that regard. Um, but I mean, looking, looking at the saints, um, if Matthew had potentially been a part of that with the 11 per year thing, yeah, I mean that the Chiefs would have gotten a comp pick out of it. So for them, that I mean, it, it doesn't mean a lot. It may not mean a lot, but like they, you know, the Saints would have lost out on a potential seventh round uh, comp pick that over the cap as projected. And right now, I mean, the Chiefs' potential comp pick is long uh, is a seventh round pick for Jaron Reed going to the Packers. You know, their biggest one that they would have gotten would have been Charvarius Ward at thirteen point five. That would have been a fourth round comp. But that yeah, got, canceled got canceled by signing out. Justin Reed. Yeah. Mark uh, about his Scantling's uh, contract, got, you know, canceled out Blythe. Then Juju Smith-Schuster's canceled out Pringle. So the only one you got left right now is Jaron Reed. And with the comp, uh, the comp pick formula ending there Monday after 3 p.m. CT, then you know that that keeps the Chiefs from potentially getting the four, you know, either a fourth or fifth round comp pick, depending on 11th, because it's kind of in that range. To where I know 10 million per year can give you a fifth. And I don't know, I don't know if 11, if that gives you kind of, it's somewhere between that fourth to fifth round range. So, you know, that's one of the, one of the parts that, you know, just kind of depends. Okay. Cause yeah. So for the Packers, yeah, about as scantling, they're going to get a fifth round comp pick for him um, for, you know, for that one, since that was in that ballpark. So, you know, I mean, it's, I'm I'm not upset the Chiefs aren't getting a comp pick for it. I mean, he gets to move on. He gets to go back home. He gets kind of probably live somewhat of a childhood dream to go play for, you know, the team that he probably grew up watching to a certain extent and spent a lot of time in that area. So, I mean, I'm happy for him in that regard. It's just when you look at the grand scheme of it, 
um, with Matthew, like, you know, like this is going to be his fourth team, you know, and like just right around the time he's getting ready to hit 30. So there's a reason why though, unfortunately is because normally after two to three years, the, the team has to part ways with him just because, you know, it starts to kind of seems like the relationship always kind of sours and this is going to be the fourth different team. And like the reality is I know you and I've talked about it before. This was the best organization he was a part of during that, during his, you know, during his career, he got to go to three consecutive AFC championships. He got to win a Super Bowl, play in a Super Bowl. And he was a part of, you know, helping build that for the first year for sure. And second year, he was still a part of it this past year. The, you know, the issues started happening where, you know, at times where you'd see him kind of make some business decisions and not want to put a shoulder into it. And, you know, he may, he may say at some point that he was dealing with, you know, an issue, you know, in his shoulder or in his hand or something like that. You don't know. You'll find out after the fact, potentially, you know, with players sometimes what they, what they, you know, their reasoning behind why they were doing what they were doing. But at the same time, you know, there's times where he had some me centric stuff to where he, he was throwing his hands up in the air when they'd get beaten coverage. So he's letting you know it wasn't him and it wasn't his fault. He's letting everybody in the building know it wasn't his fault. And, you know, that shows up on coaches film and that's just, this is not good team building. I mean, that's going to rub, that's going to rub coaches the wrong way. It's going to rub fans the wrong way. It's going to rub media the wrong way. Like it's just, it's just not an ideal thing. Those are things that people prefer if they get handled behind closed doors and, you know, privately to where whatever needs to be corrected can be corrected, but it's not on display like that. So, you know, it, it's unfortunate that that was occurring more than it should have been, especially from a guy that you really wanted to be your team leader. So I, I, I personally think whenever, whenever you had that incident, those incidents, kept popping up and then you kind of have the calling the fan base toxic. Like those, those don't help your cause in trying to get another extension with an organization, despite what he did in the community. Like, I want to recognize that, like, you know, he'd go out there and hand out, you know, hand out the turkeys, go to do a lot of community events. He was involved in the community. So I don't want that to get slighted as to who he is as a person, but there's, you know, I'm able to separate who the player is on the football field versus who they are as a person, who they may be as, you know, when they're not wearing, you know, an NFL helmet. I think Tyron Matthew is, is a great person. Um, uh, wears his heart on his sleeve, does a lot of good for a lot of people. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, the Brett Veach and Andy Reid's job is not to assemble the 53 best guys they can best people they can find it's to assemble the best 53 football players they can find. Um, and I'm not sure, like you said, that Tyron Matthew was still one of the best 53. I do think it's funny. Like the, the biggest, like the, the most memeable moment of when Tyron's throwing his hands up, when a teammate gets beaten coverage is uh, Daniel Sorensen. And I think it was in the giants game, maybe. And they are now reunited <laughs> in New Orleans because Sorensen had also signed with the Saints. So um, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure it'll be fine, um, you know, for those guys. I mean, they, they know each other um, and that familiarity will help. And like I said, I think um, I think he had a lot of uh, I think he had plenty of supporters in that building. But I, I think at the end of the day, when you watch the production um, and then you assess, you know, uh, the, the fit not only with the scheme, but in the locker room, you know, I mean, I think they just thought they could upgrade there. So they did, they went and got Justin Reed, who's younger, um, you know, uh, maybe has a little bit less of an injury history, maybe has a little bit more upside. Um, and I think, I think the saints will be fine with it. I think Tyron Matthews should be fine with it. I think the chiefs will be fine with it moving on. So, um, 
I think it worked out as well as it could for all sides in the end. Yeah, and I and like I I don't wish him ill will. I hope everything goes oh, well gosh, for him man. in you know New Orleans. Like I, I feel like sometimes people think there just has to be this. Well, he's a, he's against the Chiefs now. You know he's not. You know so we got to be mean about him. It's like well, I mean he's a human being. You hope he you hope he does well in New Orleans. You hope he you know enjoys whatever whatever time you know he plays left in football. You hope he gets to finish his career on a positive note. Like you just you wish all the good things for him. I mean that's just you know being a good human being. <laughs> So here's my here's a question for you though. Okay, over yeah. the weekend they announced that Kimball Anders is going into the Ring of Honor, the Chiefs yeah. Hall of Fame. Um, I, I've heard some consternation because they're like, well, he only had you know 2,200 career rushing yards. I'm like, well, one, he was a fullback, um, not the the primary running back. Two, um, he had you know he was one on the cutting edge of one of the uh, receiving backs in that era. He was a three time Pro Bowler and he did play a decade. Uh, with the Chiefs on, in one of the best eras of Chiefs football before Andy Reid arrived. Um, I don't have a problem with Kimball Anders being uh, inducted into the Hall, the Hall, the Ring of Honor um, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, having and, and look, I do. I mean, because the Chiefs put someone in every year. Yeah, I mean, could you argue it gets watered down? Sure, but the Chiefs, whoever they want to honor, they can honor. I mean, I'm not here to 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 tell the Chiefs who they need to honor. Question though. Do you think Tyron Matthew will someday be in line for that honor? I mean, he helped him win a Super Bowl, but he was only here three years, but he was a pro bowler, you know, and, and an all pro in two of those, two of those three seasons he was here. Uh, he checks a lot of boxes. I don't know that he checks the longevity box long enough for me to chalk him up as a chiefs legend and an eventual ring of honor guy. Having said that, I think if they want to bring back the, Super Bowl 54 champions at some point, I think Tyron will get one of the biggest ovations. I'm just not sure he's a ring of honor guy in the end. Yeah. Like you said, the, the, the biggest problem he's going to run into with the ring of honor is just the longevity. And since, uh, OC, the OCD part of me, since this, uh, since you're asking this, you know, now is that now at some point I'm going to go back and check the longevity of every single guy in the Hall of Honor and see how long they how long they were, you know, they were with the Chiefs organization to see kind of what the baseline is overall. I mean, you know, when you look through these guys, each one of them in their own way, a lot of them, some of them, you know, not necessarily for me in terms of resonates, but like with Gary Spaney, you know, like he, he was here, had longevity as the most, he had the most tackles in franchise history. At one point, Nick Lowry had one of the, you know, the longest, you know, scoring amount of points scored in the organization. Derek Thomas was legendary. John Nault was a legendary Christian Okoye, is legendary. Albert Lewis, I'm, you know, I remember till the end of time. Neil Smith, I'm going to remember for a long time. Marty, Kevin Ross, Will Shields, you know, like Priest Holmes, Tony Richardson, Brian Waters, Tony Gonzalez, you know, Carlos Carson. So with Priest Holmes being in there, the, you know, at least five in that regard, because I think Priest is here for five or six, depending on from an injury perspective, how many games that equated to. But I remember a six-year span of him being here. So when you take when you take those those things all collectively in in a consideration. I mean, Matthew was here for a massive part of Chiefs history, both from a conference, you know, conference championship perspective, from a Super Bowl perspective. Like he's always going to be associated with Chiefs franchise history in a great way. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, that'll be something that'll be intriguing to to debate down the road here and for years to come. Because if there's a guy that 
you know, that I think a lot of fans wrestle with about if he should be in the Chiefs Hall of Fame or something, it's Alex Smith. That's or, a lot. Or Trent you know. Green. I've heard that all about right. Trent Green because he's only here six years too. So, I mean, you know, like it's, you know, if those, if those guys, you know, cause uh, another the guy, biggest knock, the biggest knock when they argue that is the longevity, right? Alex right. Smith was only here five years. Trent Green was only here six years right. and never won a playoff game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it'd be a tough sell for a three-year guy. So I, I'm saying like, you got to get through those, get through those doors and then you kind of go from there. Cause I mean, you know, I mean like a guy, you know, another individual someday that I don't think he's in yet, but I'm going to be curious to see if he's a part of it is going to be Jared Allen. Like is Jared Allen, you know, is he, has he been long enough to be part of the, you know, chiefs organization or was he with the chiefs organization long enough? And then another guy down the road, you know, is going to be Jamal Charles, like, you know, those, just these chiefs legends that had an impact on their eras and kind of the beauty of, uh, of the most recent stuff is just how much success they've had to where it's not, you know, it's not just one individual that kind of carried that era or Jamal Charles for a part of the time carried a lot of that era that he was a part of. So I don't he know. Was here, Charles was here nine years. I, I think he's a slam dunk case, um, but sure. Allen, but, but I'm had, saying like only had even, four years, so. but I'm saying like Jamal didn't have, it, it's just going to be intriguing during this Andy Reed era that just how long, how much success they have versus like, you know, for Jamal, it was a big deal when they'd make it to the playoffs during Jamal's era. You're seeing this greatness, but there just wasn't collective greatness in a lot of areas to where, you know, like when Jamal got in that Baltimore Ravens playoff game, you know, and had that awesome touchdown, but then they, you know, they had a, didn't get back to the playoffs till Andy Reid got back. And, you know, it was just like, and, and like, you know, another person that, <laughs> That I, I'm surprised some people haven't tried to argue they should be in the Hall of Fame is Joe Montana. You know, he's only here two years, but he was a huge part of that 93 team in the era of what he was able to bring together. So uh, I don't know. I just, I, it'll be, that's a, it's a good question. Like we've debated it for a while now, longer than I thought I would. <laughs> so good job, Todd. I'm proud of you. Thanks. Thanks. Um, Travis Kelsey. Uh, he's going to be a thumbs up for me. Uh, <laughs> I sure hope so. <laughs> Um, so yeah yeah hear that yeah he gets my vote so uh breaking breaking news so brett veach met with the media you know post draft i didn't think there was a whole lot you know that was revelatory there i mean he, you know, he was going through the the thought process and the picks they made i did find it interesting that he said clark hunt um suge- i'm gonna say suggested that he not trade the 2023 first round pick next year was that not something I brought up on the podcast, though? <laughs> yeah, no, it was. I would have done the same thing, but like, no, we need those picks, man. <laughs> and you know, Veach said, "Yeah, I did remind him that you know, uh, Las Vegas doesn't have their first or the second this year because they traded them away in the Devontae Adams deal, of course." But um, look, well, in all we fairness, all... Vegas has been through two team presidents in less than a year already. Yeah, well, and, uh, most the of their front offices like... resigned. Las Vegas, Las Vegas Raiders aren't exactly the beacon of a stable franchise. Well, and and Mark, I don't think Mark Davis has an investment in Las Vegas, right? In the same way that the Hunt family has an uh, the fifty year investment in the Chiefs, right? Um, and Clark is big on legacy. I mean, that's that's going to be part of the discussion whenever they decide what they ultimately want to do with Arrowhead, because that's the that's the stadium his father built. And so that's going to be part of that conversation. 
But anytime that the Chiefs and the reason that Kansas City gets things like the NFL draft is is a direct result of the Hunt family. Make no mistake that 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 is why that happens. He knows what this means for this town. He's excited to show off this town. You know, I mean, I know he still lives in Dallas and things like that, but make no mistake the Kansas City is important to the Hunt family. And he wants the fans to be engaged and excited. And we all know, even though you could argue the second through seventh rounds are far more important in terms of building a roster and long-term success for a franchise, when you look at where the number of starters and stuff like that come from, all the attention is on the first-round picks. It's on the big boards, the top 50s, the first-round mock drafts. And, and I think I love the fact that Clark, and look, I think if, you know, if they had an opportunity, like if, you know, to make a franchise defining move, I think, you know, he would have given Veach the latitude, but I, I love the fact that, that Clark Hunt was, it would, to me, it's a hat tip to the fans that I want our fans to have reasons to be excited about the draft in Kansas city next year. And, and I, you love to see that from an owner. Cause we hear about owners who are disconnected, who don't care about the fans, things like that. This is an example that shows that that Clark, he may not be the most rah-rah guy. He's not the Mark Cuban of the world or Al Davis. He's not out in front of the cameras like Jerry Jones doing radio programs all the time. But he cares about this team. He cares about this fan base. He cares about this city. If you ever had a doubt, you know, don't. Well, it's good, Todd, because I didn't have a doubt on that. So I'm glad we, I'm glad we got that settled. <laughs> Thank you. You, I, you and I know, but I don't know that the, you know, I don't know that everybody else, you know, has, you know, has been a, has seen how the sausage is made enough to necessarily know that. So, well, and I, I think it's it's part of it is it, like you know, it's not easy following, you know, a, a member of your family that helped create the name of the one of the greatest sports events or has the has, founded the has, AFL was a pioneer in the way that he was and creating, you know, like you said, the AFL or, you know, building Arrowhead stadium or moving the team to Kansas city or just, just all that combined. Like, it's just, you know, like that's, that's not an easy act to follow. And, you know, Clark's had to find his own way and create his own way. And he's done a good job with it. And he's, you know, he's got a lot of good people that work with him and they all collectively understand how to, connect with this community and this fan base. So, I mean, all that combined, you know, combined together, I mean, that, you know, like, I mean, he wants big things for this city and for this town as a thank you for the loyalty that the fan base gives to them. All right. One other, one other thing that, that Brett Veach did say during the podcast or during his press conference was that he, Wait, you got Brett Veach for the podcast. All yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, uh, I'll say it again. Uh, Brett Veach, if you're listening, you're welcome to come on anytime. Um, you know, um, you can have my cell phone number, uh, you know, Brad G's got it. I'm sure you can, you know, uh, he, he can help you help, 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 help make that happen. Um, the, the other interesting thing that I thought, uh, that came out of that was, uh, you know, he kind of said he's after they get through rookie mini camp, stuff like that. Uh, he thinks that the attention will turn to a long-term deal for left tackle Orlando Brown jr. Um, you know, and that the talks there will pick back up. Um, and, Look, I, I mean, I think it's it's good business. Like, you know, if you want, if you're trying to reduce that cap number for this year to give yourself some some flexibility moving into into the season, things like that. I don't think signing him to a long term deal, especially if it's you know uh, a, a relatively team friendly one, would would limit future options they may want to pursue. Um, but you know, I mean, if the thought of Orlando Brown and a long term contract with the Kansas City Chiefs. 
I know stirs emotions within you, Nick. Todd, why why does everybody always want to come to me for Orlando Brown, man? <laughs> On Twitter, that's all people want to do. They're like, hey, what how about Orlando? What do you think about Orlando's latest news? I'm like, stop. Why do you guys keep trying to get me in trouble, man? Like I don't, I don't, I don't like to uh I don't like to always be so critical of a player. Like, I mean, I don't enjoy doing that, but like people expect me to be honest at the same time and to give an honest evaluation of what I see. And so I mean, with Orlando, I mean, look, here, here's kind of the reality of what I'm going to say in the whole thing, and I'll, I'll go in order, and then you know, I, I kind of want to leave it at that. And, like, so I'll just point to this podcast for people that want my thoughts on the situation. <laughs> because, man, if I was Orlando, I would read this stuff on Twitter. I'd be like, hey, I don't like the guy. He keeps saying words I don't like. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll, we'll mark the time. We'll, we'll... So, but, look, I mean, the Chiefs invested in him. They traded valuable assets to go get him and to make him their first round pick and, or I mean, you know, essentially their first round pick last year, even though, you know, they swapped, they essentially swapped it for a two and that type of stuff, but they, they invested a lot in him to get him here to Kansas city and to give him what he wanted to play the left tackle position. So like an organization went out there, had faith in you, took a chance on you and believed in you and gave you everything that you could potentially ask for and want and make you happy and make you one of the most important players on the football field to protect one of their most important investments in Patrick Mahomes, a quarterback. So they did everything that they had to on their part to, to make him comfortable, make him give him everything he needed to succeed. Where my frustration comes in from watching coaches film last year is there was times when he came in, he didn't look like he was in the best shape. And when you're in a contract year like that, you got to be on point with everything. And did he, he improved during the year, but there are times on film where you see him kind of stop on some plays and not kind of finish through the whistle. And there are times where you, you know, you don't see, you see his feet quit moving and he quits drive blocking to knock a guy off the football. There's time, you know, he's always going to struggle with speed rushers because of his size and his bend. That's just going to be how that's going to be. And that's, I'm sorry, but that's worrisome whenever you're spending the money you are on Patrick Mahomes and you need him to stay injury free and as clean as possible. So for me, there's always going to be hesitation there. Now where, where part of it starts to get a little frustrating for me is the team really needed him to do a long-term deal to give them cap space, to be competitive in the market. And that didn't get done because part of it probably didn't get done because he fired his agent. And when you fire your agent at a time when it's the most critical to get a deal done and to get it done in that time span, and you don't have representation at the combine working on a contract for you with the chiefs, that's, that's not an ideal look. Like that's not a good thing that doesn't strike his team friendly in that regard. That's not what's looking out what's best for the team. And I understand he needs to look out for himself, but when you have a mentor that states in an article for you or an associate or whatever you want to call it, that puts out in the article that you want to be the highest paid left tackle in the league, that, you know, that you, you're not really focused on a contract right now because you want to attend Patrick Mahomes wedding. You want to work on, you know, your charity and that type of stuff. That's all fine and admirable, but that's also that, that gives a, that gives an illustration that you're not going to put the team first money wise so that they can continue to be competitive and open that window even more. And so the biggest checkpoint for me is going to be, when does he sign his franchise tender? Cause until he signs it, he didn't have to show up for anything. 
And like, there's no penalty for not showing up for anything. And he's not, you know, and that wouldn't happen until mandatory mini camp anyways, but he's not going to get fined for stuff. So that's why some players, Dwayne Bowe, he didn't come back till camp broke in St. Joe, you know, and I, I caught him at the airport and got a no comment from him. And that was back in 2012. And when he was on the tag and he, you know, flew back from Miami up there at KCI. And um, so for Orlando, like it, it, you know, the other part of it is, is Brett Beach talks about him in the press conference when mentioning defensive line. And then the next day, the video comes out and it shows him working, you know, on the tennis court and that, he, you know, he's, he's hitting tennis balls and everything. And, that, and that's fine. But like my bigger question becomes like, okay, from a, and this is not from a media perspective, this is from a PR perspective and attention to detail. Like when you're big guys like he and I are, like you break a sweat just literally being out in, in heat and humidity. Like within four to five minutes, you look like you just jumped out of a swimming pool sometimes, <laughs> or, you know, or, or, or you were near somebody who did a cannonball. Um, and, and then, you know, you're just, you're sweating from head to toe. Like that's, that's just the reality. Cause we got to, as I like to, people call it fat. I call it insulation. We got a lot of insulation. Um, so it keeps you warm during the winters and it heats you up during the summers. Um, and so like, when, he, when he's out there doing that, it looked like he just started doing it. And that's fine that you took a video of it, but you know, like part of the, part of the attention to detail person to me is like, okay, well at least have somebody have a mister out there spraying you on your, on your head and your arms and kind of have your t-shirt look pretty wet. So it looks like you've been, you've been breaking a hardcore sweat and you know, like that video goes a little bit longer way with some of the, with some of the fan base out there, but like, but then the other part of me kind of wrestles with internally is like, okay, that that's fine. But like, you know, you could be working out with Mahomes uh, trainer, Bobby down there in, in Texas. And like, he will get you in shape. Like you can go work with Duke, you know, Duke Mayweather's helped a lot of, a lot of offensive linemen get paid, but they're going to work. Yeah. So like, I mean, it, you know, like there's options out there. If you really want to kind of really take your game to that level and get, top left tackle money or get top money on the market. There's opportunities to do it. So I'll be, I'm intrigued to see when he signs his tender, when he shows up to, when he shows up to camp is, you know, is it going to be like, Hey, I'm happy to be here. That type of stuff. Or is it going to turn into a distraction here as the months go on, if they can't get something done. So I, I think this is, I think this is going to be, We'll see, but I think this is going to be a bigger storyline than probably a lot of people want it to be. I hope it's not. I hope it gets resolved in whatever way. But I mean, for me personally, if I was in Brett Beach's shoes, I'd be genuinely nervous at paying more than sixteen million a year past the you know past the two three year deal. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, you can talk about wanting you know to be the highest paid left tackle in the league. I think. I think you've got to be in the conversation as the best left tackle in the league to, to kind of put that out there. And I don't, I don't think he's in that conversation. Um, that's not to say he's not a good player. Um, and look, he's, he's been to a couple of pro bowls and that says a lot about, um, you know, how, you know, how, how fans and, and people like that feel about him. Um, but, you know, like you said, I mean, he, he's not Trent Williams. He's not David Bakhtiari. I mean, those guys are the highest paid tackles in the league at 23 million. I, it, it would be, it, it, 
if you're not going to pay Tyreek Hill top end of the market money, I just don't see the Chiefs paying Orlando Brown Jr. top end of the market money. Like, because Tyreek is one of the best wide receivers in the league. <laughs> and I, I don't think that you can say that Brown is a top five, you know, or maybe even top 10. I mean, I had to go through and look at every left tackle, but you know, he's, he's closer to that range than he is the top three, in my opinion. Um, and that's not to say he's not a serviceable player. That's not to say he doesn't have a role on the team. Right. Um, you know, that's not to say that you don't hope he does really well next year and maybe elevate himself to that com- conversation, justify a contract like that. I think everybody would be thrilled um, if that happened, you know, the Patrick Mahomes, chief among them, uh, no pun intended. But um, if you're talking today, you know, as we record this podcast on May 6, 2022, yeah, I mean, I, I'm balking at that deal a uh, hundred times out of a hundred. Well, and, and the other part of it is like for like Chris Jones and Patrick Mahomes, when they got their big deals, they'd been with this franchise the entire time. And when Tyreek Hill got a second deal, like they, he'd been with the franchise the entire time. They all invested at a certain level in a certain way and went about things that, or, that the organization obviously was a fan of both in terms of talent and proving stuff and being a part of everything that they, that they needed them to be. I know Chris, when he had the franchise tag, he, had to take the road he had to take. And that's what players do for leverage sometimes. But like, you know, Orlando Brown's basically been here a year now. Like there's just, there's just not that same level of like, they, uh, you know, they don't have the same amount of time that they've watched him grow into the player and what he, how he approaches everything. So I just, I think that's a really tough uphill road right now. If you're wanting to be the, the highest paid tackle in, in the league as a person who claims that they're, they're a part of, you know, part of a mentor, kind of an associate or whatever you want to call it, make sure to put out there publicly on, on that person's behalf. Yeah. Uh, last thing I wanted to cover from the beach press conference was uh, his thoughts on Melvin Ingram. They, uh, the chiefs in Baltimore used a very rarely used unrestricted free agent tender, um, which basically it guarantees them a comp pick. If, if Melvin Ingram signs elsewhere, um, and then it gives him a 10% raise and it gives the chiefs, um, exclusive negotiating rights after I want to say like July 22nd or something like that. Um, you know, I, so I think he made 4 million last year. So his salary would be 4.4 million this year. If they sign him under the tag, uh, the, the UFA tag, I thought it was a really savvy move, mm-hmm. uh, for, for, um, Tillerson and Shay to kind of come to. Brett Veach with it and be like, Hey, uh, if we want to make sure we have some protection on this Melvin Ingram thing, there's this little thing in the CBA that we should, we should think about using. Um, I think, uh, look, I, I was, I, I think Melvin Ingram returning to the chiefs, I would have put money on that anyway, but I think this makes it much more of a, of a near certainty that Melvin Ingram will be part of uh, the 22 2022 chiefs roster. And you know what the funny part is with that, that whole situation circumstance was that still didn't have to show up till training camp. He done one. Oh yeah. And, and, and look, Brett Veach talked, he's, he's like, look, we knew that he was going to take his time with this, but he, Brett Veach made it clear that, that they want him back. I mean, I'm not suggesting that there's a side deal in place there, but if Melvin Ingram was happy here in town, I think the chiefs are happy to wait for him to, make his decision close to training camp. And as long as he shows up on time and in shape, which you expect a veteran guy to do, 
because uh, they've been through it before. He knows what it takes to get through a season. Um, as long as you think he's going to do that, um, especially given his knees and not wanting to put undue strain on him. Um, yeah. I mean, I, look, I, I think, I think that's a, I think that's a no brainer. Um, and I think you pair him with Karloftis on the left side. Uh, you get what you can out of Ingram. You hope that as the time goes on, you know, you can, uh, Karloftis grows into the position and, and can, um, you know, take over the majority of the reps. You can keep Melvin Ingram as healthy as, as possible throughout the year, make sure he's effective down the stretch and potentially in the playoffs. And I think they're in a pretty good situation at that left defensive end spot, if that's the way it goes. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it was a savvy move and I, I'm not upset by it. And I personally don't think Melvin Ingram's too upset by it because, yeah. you know, he still gets to be a multimillionaire and not, and not have to show up till training camp if he doesn't want to. So, like, yeah. I, I don't think he's going to be terribly frustrated with that, that move and that situation. I mean, I, I would take a 10% raise in three months off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Moving forward, it's a rookie mini camp. Um, and uh, so just look, you, you've covered a lot of these in your day. Um, what are the things you're looking for at a rookie mini camp? Because look, look, the veterans aren't there. It's not like they're running, you know, they're getting deep into the playbook and, you know, you're not going to learn a lot about how they're going to approach the season. So, so what are the things that you can, you can learn from and glean from rookie minicamp? Um, you just get a chance to see the players in person and kind of how, how their conditioning has been going and how they've been training, because you get a you get a chance to, um, to watch when they, when they may be doing some drills and, and how, how quickly do they get winded from it? Um, how, how do they push through that? Those type of things. And, you know, your, your, their draft picks are going to jump out pretty quick. Like I'm just telling you, like athletically they'll jump out pretty quick in their position groups. And like you, you it's not hard to figure out if they weren't wearing numbers, who the draft pick is like that, that's, you know, that's a big part of that aspect of it, but it's good for the players that are going to be on the, on the 90 man roster. It just gives them a chance to kind of experience and, what what it's like to be an NFL player, what they're going to go through and what they can expect and how they may need to change some of their conditioning in certain ways for when the veterans arrive at the end of May. And so that's just, it's a nice little learning curve for them to kind of go through without being overwhelmed and having the veterans all around and to, and to get that, get that under their belt as their first experience. But in terms of kind of, in terms of like saying, well, you know, his quarter turns not on spot and not not on time here. I just don't know if they're making a great move here. Yeah, they're, they're in shorts. Like it's it's fun to get to watch it and everything, and kind of see football again. You missed it for a handful of months, and you know, Therese and I enjoyed being able to go to those and kind of watch those just because we enjoy football. But um, yeah, for the most part, it's you're not. It takes a significant jump when the veterans arrive and the rookies are like, Oh, okay. So it's not like a college practice anymore. And you kind of see, you know, I, mean, I remember a time where D'Anthony Thomas, he, he did completely fine in rookie camp, look fast out there and everything. And then he couldn't come back because the PAC 12 rules at the time, like their graduation was later. So like he couldn't come back till mandatory mini camp. And when it's hot and humid out there in, a, in June, and like that poor guy ran an 80 yard, uh, in like an 80 yard play that he ran. And like, he, he was worn out 
Like he, he was so worn out from that play. And it's like, welcome to the humidity in Kansas city, man. But like Jamal, you know, Jamal's just running through, just running through the drills and everything and just high end. And, you know, it's just like, it's kind of that reality check that D'Anthony had, like, you know, cause the wants you to run and he wanted you to run the entire way. Like you're running to the end zone. And and then you you jog back or you sprint back or whatever you want to do, but you get back for that next rep, when, you know, in the rotation. And yeah, D'Anthony, it was the welcome to the NFL rook or the Kansas City Heat rook that he went through. And so that you know, luckily they don't have that in rookie camp. But once the veterans arrive, it it turns into a whole different ball game. Are there any rookies you're uh, particularly looking forward to? I know. Um, you know, I mean, if there's one in those top four, um, yeah, I mean, Trent McDuffie, you know, pretty athletic, you expect him to pop, you know, you want to see the power from Karloftis, but are there things you would, you know, maybe like to see, like, like maybe a, a, a fast first step from Karloftis, things like that. Is there, is there any, anything among those guys that you do kind of want to see? Cause for me, the one that I really want to see is athletically, I want to see Josh Williams, right? Like. He played at a smaller school, not sure, um, you know, he, he's one of those guys you want to, you want him to pop, maybe not quite as much as McDuffie, but, but, you know, to feel really good about that fourth round pick investment, I think. Yeah. I mean, this weekend wouldn't be it, but down the road, um, I'm kind of curious to see how Sky Moore does against veteran corners, like how he, what he's able to do route running wise, what he can potentially do on, on releases and stuff like that. Um, then I'm, I'm really curious to see what, what Leo Chanel is going to do when he drops into coverage and when he's in man coverage, like, I'm kind of curious to see if that's different in person than what it was on tape from his college days. And then those are kind of, those are going to be the ones uh, in terms of Carl Loftus and stuff like that. Like until the pads come on, it's not really, there's not much you're going to glean from him or him or Kennard for the, for the most part in terms of, um, uh, their physicality and their strength, which is what they both are able to play on. Like I said, until those pads come out, that's, you know, that's just going to be something you're going to wonder until, until early August. So, yeah, I mean, like, you know, and like you said, I mean, I'm somebody I'll, I'll be intrigued to kind of watch is uh, obviously, you know, um, Ross from Clemson. Like I'm going to be, yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be curious to see like how he measures up with some of the other receivers whenever they, have veterans around like you said josh williams i'm i'm gonna be curious what joshua williams is able to do once he's matched up against you know like a juju smith schuster or a valdez scantling or mccall hardman how does he measure up against those guys and i'll be curious down the road not necessarily rookie but i'm curious to see how lonnie johnson's gonna do whenever he's out there in the scheme in the system so there's a lot of things i'll be intrigued to see down the road here from the skill position but i also know that that's that's more of a May June thing to be able to watch some of the skill guys and anything that involves physicality from a run support or pad pop in perspective. You're, you're waiting until you're waiting until camp. Yeah. No. And that's a, you know, a couple other things, you know, the, the chiefs obviously were able to sign Clemson wide receiver, Justin Ross uh, to a free agent deal after the draft. Um, look, he was, he was, a first, he is a first round talent. Um, you know, he's got the congenital neck condition. Uh, doctors have cleared him. Um, you know, I mean, I think that's the reason that and the, the foot injury he had, or the reason why he he didn't go drafted. But this has the stench of a Trey Williams six round pick all over it. 
Uh, if Justin Ross Trace ends Smith, up, yeah. or ju- yeah, if he ends up being uh, uh, um, a dude, um, and you know, and the medical turns out fine, and and he fell just because of concerns about that. Uh, Brett Veach is going to fle- have fleeced the NFL once again in terms of adding a talented player to the roster that the Chiefs had no business being able to get when they did. Yeah, I mean, you, you hope it, you hope it all works out. We'll see uh, see how that journey goes over the months ahead here. So, one thing I did want you you mentioned the Lonnie uh, Lonnie Johnson Jr. trade. They gave up a conditional seventh round pick in twenty twenty four. Don't worry, Clark. It was not a twenty twenty three draft pick. Um, I like how it skipped that year whenever I saw, I saw the conditions of the trade. I was like, I was like, yeah, smart play, savvy move there. But look, corner went from a position where you're like, what are they going to do here? You know, without Charvarius, especially when we found out that Rashad Fenton had a shoulder surgery and may not be back till training camp. And now all of a sudden you're like, you've got McDuffie, you've got Josh Williams, you got Jalen Watson, who you know, I, I kind of count as an undrafted free agent, and they brought in some other guys there. Um, you've still got DeAndre Baker, who, you know, uh, will will remains to be seen now that he's a full year recovered from, you know, the leg injury and got to, you know, gets another offseason in the system. Can he cash in on that first-round talent? Um, but, look, adding Lonnie Johnson Jr. to that room, I think they've all of a sudden gone from a team with a lot of question marks to – we talked about this last year to a team that's more likely to trade away a corner late in training camp, kind of like they did with Yasir Durant when they, they turned a position of weakness and offensive line into a position of strength. And we were looking at it saying they're probably going to end up having to deal somebody in training camp, you know, and it ends up being Yasir Durant. Um, I could absolutely see that being the case again this year, but with cornerbacks because of the work they did to rebuild that position in one off season. Yeah, I mean, you're hoping it ends up being that case, and if that is, if that is the road they go down, then you're you're kind of selfishly hoping that, hey, maybe that's for uh, maybe that's for a pass rusher that may end up getting cut from another team. Yeah, so, you know that that may be what you're trying to do down the road here, but you know injuries happen, circumstances change, so long way between now and when they start in September. And on top of that, the other thing that I'll that I'll say is like. <clears throat> You got to give them till September before you get worried about the roster. You know, I mean, there's it's fine. There's positions, but you remember how many people were just upset about how free agency went, and now after the draft, you're like, you know what? They're in pretty good shape now. They're in a pretty good spot. That's that's why you got to give them time to to do the building that they have to. So they've they've built it up to where, in all honesty, like right now, you know, for the most part, you're just kind of wondering if they can get another interior pass rusher or defensive end. And then you're kind of like, all right, unless injuries happen, like you're, you're in a good spot. Yeah. 18 million in, in, in cap left. I think I, I ran the numbers. I, I think to sign this draft class is going to take 10 or 12 million, but only the, I, th- I want to say only the top four picks are actually going to replace somebody in the top 51 that counts against the cap. So yeah. the real number to get this draft class signed is going to be closer to five or 6 million. So there's still, and obviously you want to keep a few million back. If you factor in, you know, Melvin Ingram at 4.4 million, you're probably looking at somewhere between four to $6 million, unless a long-term extension gets done with Orlando Brown Jr. Um, that the Chiefs would still have to kind of play with if there's somebody else out there that intrigues them this year that they want to go sign. So like you said, whether that's a, 
another defensive tackle like a Taylor Stallworth or, or you know, maybe not him necessarily, but a, along those lines, veteran, veteran defensive tackle, they might want to add. So and it'll be worth watching. I mean, after these mini camps go along, there may be some veterans get cut for cap reasons, different things like that. Um, so there may be somebody that comes out there and, you know, um, you, you know, that 4 million could come in handy, Nick. Well, and the other thing I'll say is, you know, in case you didn't, in case you didn't see it yesterday, the chiefs waived, uh, Garrett Dieter, uh, Keith Griffin, Stewart, uh, Gary Jennings, wide receiver, Lorenzo Neal Jr. Um, yes, he is the son of fullback Lorenzo Neal, uh, Josh Peterson, Doug Peterson's son, and then Jonathan Woodard, the defensive end. But like I was going to touch on, and you already did, just because Garrett Dieter's been waived, don't don't count him out, okay? Like he's found back. a way. He's found a way, so I'm not I'm not I'm not counting Garrett Dieter out, okay? That's just me personally, but I was be here for training camp. But something you do need to be mindful of is when the Chiefs are potentially waving players throughout this process coming up here in the weeks and months ahead, the number one team that's going to be that's going to be right there waiting is going to be the Chicago Bears. To place waiver claims, they already did on uh, Chris Fink, the wide receiver that the Chiefs waved the other day, and it, it gave me a reminder. I'm like, "Yep, Ryan Poles is going to be picking Chiefs up left and right to build that culture in Chicago because he knows those players from his time there." So I'm, I'm just saying the Chiefs are going to. That's another one the Chiefs are going to have to be mindful of on top of the Indianapolis Colts and Detroit Lions in terms of potentially having players go to those teams that they wave. Yeah. All right. Uh, hey, good talk. Um, I feel good about that one. Oh, so uh, you know, one of my, another, another one of my trademark lines that we're using. Oh man. You and you and a handful of people, I'm going to get all these things trademarked, man. So I can start making royalties off this stuff. Uh, I, I will not be paying you, sir. No, I know you, I know you won't. I know you won't. So, well, uh, so I'll do it the proper way, Todd. Hey, good talk. I feel like we learned a lot about life in that short period of time. So, no, yes. so um, look, that's all I got for this week. Um, but we can, you know, do you want to talk about, you know, Joshua Williams' quarter turns at rookie minicamp next week or something? I don't know if I'll be out there physically, so I mean, that would, you know, we'll, we'll figure out a we'll figure out a topic to talk about. I'm sure, there'll be some kind of news somewhere. Oh, I, I, there there always is, um, and uh, something tells me we might uh, have a schedule to talk about this time next week. So. <laughs> this is this is uh this is very true, Todd. This is very true. Way to way way to tease it and give it away. Well, I think I think it's already out there. But anyway, that's it for this week. Um, we'll be back next week to chat more Chiefs with you. Take care, kids. <laughs>